we're starting a new series today called I Choose. And uh, like I said, it's going to be a series about choices. This shouldn't be a shock to anybody. Uh, I tried to name this one pretty plainly. Um, So just to cut to the chase, we don't always make the best decisions. That's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, There are examples of this everywhere you look, that human beings are not the best decision makers. It is not a natural skill. It is something that we will all have to do in our lives. We make tons of decisions every day, but just because we do it all the time does not mean that we are good at it. And so in this series, what we're going to talk about is making better choices, not just choosing what's there, not just choosing what's easy, not just choosing what we want to do, but choosing what is best. That's what we want to focus on as we go through this. Uh, Last year, uh, towards the end of the year, I was walking over from my house here after having lunch, and I look across the street as I'm just walking along, and I see one of the people who lived across the street, a guy was up on his roof, okay, the little overhang, angled overhang over his front door, had a ladder up on that, leaned against the house so that he could reach the peak and put Christmas lights on. He's trying to shove those little plastic things, you know, into the shingles. And so he's on this slanted thing with a ladder leaning into his house, standing at the top of the ladder, leaning back so that he can reach there. And I'm just walking over going, I can't see that ending well. You know, I just can't, I can't see that this is going to be great for him. And so I come in, I was like, hey, Ben, have you seen the guy across the street? And he's like, yeah, I've been watching him for 20 minutes. And so... <laughs> And so we sit there for a while talking about, like, do we say something? Like, do we just sit here and wait to call 911 in case it goes south? And so we kind of agreed, we can't just watch this guy put lights on his house all day. So since you could see it from Ben's office, I said, just peek out every five minutes or so. If the ladder's not up there, it's on the ground, just call 911, and we'll say we did our duty, you know. And, and uh, he didn't fall. He made it all the way through. I mean, not that I was, you know, secretly wishing that he would fall and we get it on video and make lots of money with YouTube views. I would never want that for anybody. And so he didn't fall, which is good. But we're watching that. It's like, he was, you know, it worked out, okay? It worked out good for him. But that doesn't, that doesn't make it a good decision, you know? That means he was lucky. I think sometimes we justify our bad ways of making decisions, our bad ways of thinking through things. We justify that because every now and then it works out for us. If you've ever been a parent of a high school kid or a college kid who did something colossally dumb and you're trying to like talk them, talk to them about that, about how it was a bad idea, and they try to put you at ease and say, I don't know why you're so upset. It all worked out okay. And all you're thinking is, this time, this time it worked out okay. I'm, I'm almost not as much worried about what you just did as what you're going to do if you keep thinking through things this way. And so that's what we want to do. I don't want you just to think of, oh, it worked out okay, and so everything's fine. Again, we don't want to just choose what's easiest, what's nicest, what's comfortable. We want to choose what's best. We want to be people who intentionally, wisely think through everything and choose the best possible outcome. And you might be thinking, okay, Anthony, you know, I I think I'm okay at decisions, you know. Why, why, why is choosing what's comfortable bad? Is it wrong to be comfortable? Why is choosing what makes me happy bad? Is it bad to be happy? No, those things aren't bad, but let me say, let me say they're not always best. Okay, let me give you an example from my life. One thing that would make me so happy is eating out breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't love to cook. I mean, I'll do it, you know. I don't love dishes, don't love dishes, and I don't love the way that the kitchen always needs cleaned. Like, that's, that's the worst. 
like every, I'm the one that does kitchen stuff. Abby does laundry. We kind of, there's a few things like jobs we don't, we really don't love. And so I'll do the dishes if she does the laundry. And so there's some days I'll be home with the kids and I'll get the kitchen all clean. And then three hours later, it's time for bed and it's destroyed. And it's like, I spent hours cleaning this kitchen. How did it get so destroyed? So I would love nothing more than eat out breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Also, for some reason, I just can't make anything better than a Chick-fil-A number one sandwich. You know, I don't know why. I can't. I can't. I've tried and I can't. And so the problem with that is, though it would make me happy, it would also be very expensive. I mean, you could burn through so much money. I heard Dave Ramsey tell a story once of a guy who, uh, he, who'd never done a budget, never looked at his money before, and he said once he got his budget all written out, and the guy said, Dave, you won't believe this. We figured it up and kept track of our expenses. We're spending $2,000 a month eating out. And the guy said, I've been wondering for years why I didn't have a retirement. I was eating it. <laughs> and so we, th- you know, that's a story that stuck in my brain, and so it's like, okay, Though it would be more fun to eat out all the time than it would be to take money and put it in an account that I won't see for decades. At some point, the wisest thing, i got to admit, is, is to save for that day when Abby and I won't be able to work, won't be able to make money for ourselves, won't be able to take care of ourselves. We've got to save for that day, and that's better, it's wiser than eating out all the time. So what is easiest, what is best, what is most comfortable, what makes you happy, what feels best, let me say it that way, is not always the best. And so we want to talk about that as we go through this series. How can we be wise? And so we want to be people, whoops, I went too too many. We want to be people who intentionally choose what is better. Intentionally choose what is better. Because that's not what we always do. And I think somewhere down deep we know it. We know that we don't always choose what is better. Now, today's topic, just because to, um, we're going to look at a different topic every week. We're gonna, I'm going to present you with two options every week, and we're going to see which one is better. Now, this week, we're going to talk about choosing purpose over popularity. Purpose over popularity. And popularity might be a weird word for anyone who's not in school anymore, because we think, oh, yeah, I thought about popularity a lot when I was in high school or college, but, man, I'm, I'm 45. I don't think of that anymore. Like, I don't think about being, uh, life being a popularity contest, and and, and if you're, by the way, if you're a student, I'm not making fun of you. That's just the nature of being in high school. There's, there's the cool kids and there's everyone else in various groups and sects. And you kind of wonder, sec, S-E-C-T-S, by the way. And, and we wonder about how we fit in and where we fit in. And, and nobody wants to be the person that nobody talks to. And we, we would all feel, it all feel, always feels nice to climb your way up the social ladder a little bit and to get notoriety. But for the rest of us, we think, I don't, popularity, that's not my thing. And I disagree. I see way more adults scrambling for popularity than I ever do kids, and I'll explain to you what I mean. Adults, we do this by our stories, because everybody, if you live enough years, you got that one great story, that awesome thing that you did, that story that kills every time you tell it, and so you retell it over and over again, whether it was that awesome catch you made at the, at the game when you were a sophomore, whether it's that drive you made and you guys sailed over a hill and the car took off and everybody was scared to death and somehow you landed it and skidded off to a stop and never went off the road and you thought, man, that was like, I was like living Knight Rider back then. You know, that was my deal, man. Whether that's your story, I don't know, everybody's got an awesome story that they can tell. Maybe some of us, we gain popularity by telling the stories of our worst mistakes, because some of that, I mean, I can, I've told the story of my old Georgia speeding ticket, which some of you know and some of you don't, and that's okay. I don't, I'm not going to tell it again unless you ask me because it's a cool story and people like it when I tell the story, right? <laughs> so everybody's got a story. So we tell these stories so that people will lean and go, whoa, wow, that happened to you? You did that? Whoa, that's great. Sometimes we use 
our kids as adults. It's, it's amazing to me how we can get so wrapped up in, again, popularity that we forget that our kids are human beings and not trophies. And so we start acting like, well, you know, I, I made them, so therefore what they did is something I can take credit for. And so you start bragging about your kids with the great grades, and you put the bumper sticker that my kid is an honor student, and you do that knowing, yeah, my kid's not. And you, you know, you're feeling good about that. Or your kid is the awesome athlete, and you want to tell everybody about it, and you take pictures at every track meet, and you put them on Facebook, and you tag everybody that you know so people can look at your kid and go, wow, I wish my kid was that talented. And it's not like we're trying to you know, edge our way to the front of the lunch line or whatever it is like you're in high school, but it's, it's a different way of gaining popularity, and we do different ways. There's different ways we have of doing it. One big way is money and stuff. We want people to look at the car we drive, the house we have, our landscaping service, our yard maintenance, and we want people to look across that road into our driveway and go, wow, wow, I wish I had that life. I wish I had that house. All week, I've been watching another neighbor over here reside their house. I that took up my whole week. Because one day they're stripping the siding off, and I'm thinking, what color is it going to be when they put it back on? And then the f- whole second day, they're opening these boxes, and I'm, and, and they're, and, but they're not getting the siding out. And I'm thinking, would somebody just put a piece of siding on the house? I can't stop. I need, a, I need to move on with my life, and I can't. And so then they start putting it up, and I'm thinking, man, that looks good. And every time I looked out my window, yeah, that's a beautiful house. And me and Abby start talking and saying, if the church ever wants to reside the parsonage, we're just going to say, give us what, it, what they have, you know? And so you look across the street, and you go, wow, and we want people to do that for us. Not because... It makes any difference in the grand scheme of life, but just to make us feel better about us. We want the attention. We want the glory. We want to be envied. Sometimes we use our brains to get that kind of attention. Um, you ever know that person that they've always got the answer to the question you never asked? You're, you're eating ice cream and you get a brain freeze and you're like, oh gosh, and while you're working through the pain, they're telling you why you get brain freezes? And you're like, that's great. I don't know if I ever would have needed to know that, but thank you for that. You're really smart. You know, you should go on Jeopardy. And you, you feel that. Like, why? But it's just we want people to go, wow. And every one of us does that a little bit. We have that desire to have ourselves be built up, to be honored, to be envied, to, be, uh, to receive some glory from the people around us. But what if that's not the end of life, the means of life? What if we're not supposed to be people who are supposed to be the target of all this honor and all this glory? Well, you see, I think the ultimate purpose of every single human life is to give glory to God. And if you're not much of a church person, that sounds really weird. And maybe for some of you who are church people that thinks, what does that even mean to give glory to God? Well, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But I ultimately want you and to understand that the main purpose, the why to why you exist, is you exist to make God more famous in our world, to make God more known, to make God more better reflected, be better reflected in the world around us. That is your main purpose, and that will actually change how you live your life every single day. In Psalm 115, verse 1, says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us. Say that with me. Not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, we aren't meant to be the people that are always going, look at me. Hey, whoo, over here. Look how cool I am. Look how great I am. Look, how, look at my perfect Pinterest-worthy living room pictures. We're not supposed to be those people. We are meant to be basically road signs that are pointing everyone's attention to the God of the universe, the creator of all things. And as humans, 
You are not running on all cylinders until you're doing that. And again, it does change the way you live. Let me give you a couple examples. Let's say you work in retail or any job where you are coming face-to-face with people on a regular basis. First off, let me just say, I'm sorry, because people are the worst. We just are. Um, and so you're, you're dealing with people who are screaming at you for things that are not your fault all the time. Whether you work, again, in sales, whether you're a nurse, whatever, there's people that are yelling at you all the time and acting like lunatics. What if? Because you decide, I'm going to glorify God. I want to reflect my God to the world. Rather than dealing with those people the way that they deserve, you return kindness towards their anger. You are peaceful and rational and helpful when they are losing their mind and shaking their finger an inch from your nose. Eventually what's going to happen, if you do that over and over again, eventually either a coworker, a boss, or even just some other sane person who's in the line behind them will come up and say, wow, I can't believe how well you just did. Like, I, if I would have been in your shoes, I would have lost it. I would have punched that guy, even if it meant losing my job. I don't know how you stood there and were so nice. Well, then you say, well, you know what? God's nice to me when I'm a fool, so I'll be nice to people when they are fools. And you get an option, an honest option, to reflect your God to the world, to share your creator, to not not take the glory and say, you know what? I am pretty awesome. I am pretty rational. No, you can say, I'm only this way because God is so good. And you reflect his glory. You, You correct, you redirect their attention to him. Another one that I see in the church world is every once in a while we'll have someone from our midst who decides to leave the nice, comfy American life that they live and go to another country and be a missionary. In churches, we act like they are celebrities when that happens because we see that as like the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, most of us, we don't want to leave the state, let alone you know, go to another country where we don't speak the language. You, know? you don't want to go to a part of the country where somebody's got an accent that's hard to understand, let alone go to some place where they speak a tonal language. And so when we see somebody who makes that sacrifice, in the church world, we're always just like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? You are so amazing. How can you make that amazing sacrifice? Wow, you're so great. But most of the time when you talk to them and you ask, how can you do that with your life? How can you make such a gigantic sacrifice? sacrifice, most of the time they will tell you, well, God stepped out of his heavenly home into our world to save me. The least I can do is step out of my home and go to somebody else's to tell them about that amazing salvation. And they will redirect it to God. They're not going out into the world because they want you to think they're great. They're not doing it so that we as the church can sit there and applaud them. They're doing it because they want to live their purpose. They know that they exist to glorify God. And that, desire, that, that understanding to glorify God that you exist not for us but for his name, that drives them to do things that are more significant than you could ever do when you focus on yourself. But there is that thing inside of us that still kind of wants that glory. There's a thing inside of us that still wants to steal God's glory. And sometimes the way we steal God's glory is we'll even use our faith to do it. We will mask our hunger for attention with religious piety, religious expression, religious understanding, religious obedience. Um, Jesus actually talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to uh, follow along, we're going to read a few verses out of Matthew chapter 6. If you grab the black pew Bibles near you, they will be on page 811. If you brought your own Bible, um, good luck finding that page. I have no idea what page it's on for you. But there's a series of stories that Jesus tells in 
not stories so much as just examples that he gives. Three examples that he gives in Matthew chapter 6. And these are all about people who are trying to hijack religious activities. Things that are supposed to be spiritual methods of obedience to God. And they are hijacking them to give themselves a pat on the back and to get attention for, look at how great I am, look at how obedient I am, look at how godly I am. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others, before other people, excuse me, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Some people, now I've done it, and maybe you have too. Sometimes we will serve, we will give, we will do things that are very godly. Simply so somebody will look at us and go, wow, look how godly they are. Look how mature they are. Look how talented they are. Look how great they are. And we do that just so that we can have people look at us because we don't understand the difference between our purpose to glorify God and our hunger for popularity. You can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And, it, and what Jesus is going to show us is when you do the right thing for the wrong reasons, when you substitute purpose for popularity, it kills the activity. It kills the benefit of what you are trying to do. He gives three examples. Here's the first one. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you do, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, um, one thing to know about how Jesus taught was usually he would give extreme examples to kind of prove a point. It's kind of how sometimes people say, that literally made my mind explode. Well, obviously not, because you're using your brain to tell me this thing is over-the-top exaggeration, okay? Well, he says, don't go blowing a trumpet, okay? There, weren't any, there wasn't anybody that was going up to the offering time in the synagogue going, Look how great I am. Look at all these hordes of cash and money. I'm going to dump in the offering plate. Aren't I great? Like, nobody was doing that. But they would make a fuss. You know, they, they would make some level of a fuss just to say, boy, look at all this. Oh, it's a little heavy, this bag of coins I'm putting in. You know, they would make some level of a fuss. And he said, that's not the point. The point of you helping people, giving to the poor, is not to make yourself look generous. And so people will go, wow, look how good they are. The point of it is to say, God's generous to those who are in need. So I'm going to do what God does. I'm going to be like him, be like my creator, my savior. He goes on. And, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. They're taking this moment of communicating with their God. What's supposed to be an intimate moment between worshiper and God and they're making it this, again, this activity where they're not pointing their attention to God. They're trying to point others' attention to them. Look at my large, flowery words. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I beseech you this day. And they're going on and on so that people will look at them and think, their, their prayers are so spiritual. Wow. I wish I could pray like that. I wish I could talk to God like that. I wish my faith was like their faith. But that's not the point. And Jesus gives one more example. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. 
which, again, I think I've already made known. I like food and I like to eat out. Uh, fasting is difficult, and it is something that, man, you sit there and you can't hardly think of things. If you, have, if you aren't somebody who does that regularly, that grumbling in your stomach, that feels difficult. We live in a blessed place, and we don't get to do that very often. We don't take part in this. I would say fasting is probably one of the least practiced Christian spiritual disciplines. And he says, so these people, they're, oh, you know, they're walking around. I've been fasting for days. Oh, aren't I so spiritual? I've been giving up food for Jesus, you know. And so he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. When he says put oil on your head, he's just saying, wash your face, do your hair. Don't, don't act like you're, you're sitting there suffering. Look normal so that people won't know what's going on with you. Hide that practice because these are, again, practices that are between you and God to draw you to your creator, to highlight and glorify him. They are not practices so that you can have everybody look at you and say, yay, me. And so Jesus is warning people about the dangers of trading, purpose for popularity. They're hijacking spiritual expression to get others to be impressed with them. But here's the thing that Jesus is trying to say. Chasing popularity suppresses your purpose. It suppresses your purpose. Whether you're doing, um, whether you're taking all the meaning out of prayer because you're just trying to get people to look at you, whether you're taking the focus that's supposed to be on God out of the moment of fasting by getting people to say, yay, you, whatever it is, it kills that moment of purpose that's supposed to drive you into the world to do great things for your God. And, and the main reason why popularity suppresses purpose is because your purpose of glorifying God, when you understand that, it takes your eyes off yourself. It makes you look at a bigger world than simply the one that exists in you. Uh, the first time I kind of learned about the struggle between purpose and popularity was in, I think I was early in college, I had started volunteering at church. It was the first time I'd ever decided to help out at church, and I was singing in the worship band for the youth group. And this was a, a weird worship band in that the musicians in that worship band were probably more talented than any of the adults in the church. We had a guy who played the drums since he was three, um, which, God bless his parents, man, I, don't want, I wouldn't let any of my kids have a drum set now. Uh, so he'd been playing the drums since he was three. I mean, he was phenomenal at it. Actually, he was in a Christian band for a while, played professionally in the whole thing. We had another kid who didn't start playing the guitar until he was like a junior, uh, maybe in junior high, late junior high, early high school. And he was almost like a savant prodigy with the guitar. I mean, as soon as he picked it up, it was just natural for him. And so this kid who played the guitar, um, his name was Kenny, he would sit off to the side and just wail on this thing while we're doing these you know, worship songs in youth group, and there was one time where there was just a little break between, you know, I think it was two choruses, and he just did this tiny little solo, and just as a joke, I'm sitting there singing, and I put the mic down, I did one of these, like, Wayne's World, you know, you're not, wor uh, we're not worthy kind of thing, as a joke, I didn't think anything of it, just thought I was being funny, he was just clearly blowing everybody in the room away, it was awesome, and so after uh, the night was over, my youth minister came up to me and said, hey, don't ever do that again, Okay, why? I was just joking around. He said, well, here's the thing. Kenny knows his purpose is to glorify God, but he's so good. Everybody always says, man, Kenny, you're so good. And it, there's that thing inside of us that wants people to tell us how good we are all the time, and he struggles with that. And that doesn't help. When you're sitting there pointing the attention to him in that moment, that does not help him. His job is to help people in the moment worship God through music. 
not to look at how good he is at playing the guitar. So please don't do that ever again. And my youth minister was this big, giant bear of a man. I was like, okay, whatever you say, Steve. I'm just going to do whatever you tell me to at this point in my life. And, and, uh, and you know, that's when I first got this glimpse of, man, when you, when you take your eyes off purpose, it kills the purpose of what he's doing. He was trying to point everybody to God, but when I made it about how cool he was, he was in that moment, I was killing that moment, and I didn't see it. But the same is true of your life. And so I want you to understand how this works in your life. I want you to see that this is a practical thing that makes sense for you every single day. It makes a difference in how you live your life. When you start every day saying, every moment today, every choice I make has to be about my purpose as a human being, not how people view me. And it will change the way you do things. Let's say um, everyone at your work tends to go out to eat for lunchtime. And you'd like to be part of the group. Everyone, they always come back laughing, you know, holding their big old 18-gallon cup of soda, and they're all like, like they just had the best time in the world. But you've decided that you want to be somebody who can give generously to your church. Maybe you want to give to another mission or ministry that you really believe in and you think is making a difference. Maybe you want to support a kid or two or three through Compassion International or World Vision. And so you've decided that instead of spending that money on a daily basis, you're going to brown bag it. And so you sit by yourself in the lunchroom and you eat your homemade sandwich while they're all going out and getting food that's way better than anything we could make in our kitchens. I'm just saying. And, and that's different. And that might not always feel like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be involved there. But, but again, you've got something bigger that's guiding you. Not, not how people think of you, not being included, not feeling cool. You are living a life of purpose. Rather than, let's say, getting a, a newer, nicer cooler car. Maybe you go on a mission trip. Maybe you go to a third world country and just have your eyes opened to the way people in, the, in other parts of the world live. Maybe instead of being like everyone else and jamming your schedule so full of activities that all you do is go boom, 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 driving from one place to the other so much that you can't even have a moment to breathe. Maybe instead of doing that, you say no to some coaches over a practice. Or maybe you tell your kids, no, you can't play that sport this particular season. We need a break. And you do that so that you have nights and moments free so that you can actually invest in the hearts of your kids and care about them and show them the God who loves them. In moments when they are moldable and need a mom and dad or a grandma and grandpa to invest in them. And let me just say, telling the coach, my kid's not coming to Wednesday night practices anymore. Telling your, your friends, I told my kid they can't play basketball this year. Those decisions will not make you popular. And as a parent who thinks, I don't care about popularity, you'll feel it in that moment. Because that's a big thing around here. And the goals, though, aren't feeling, that po aren't feeling popular. The goal isn't avoiding people judging you or thinking that you're a bad parent because you're not investing in certain things. The goal is glorifying God. And one of the ways you can do that is by investing powerfully into your kids. Because let me tell you, the world doesn't need one more person who's trying to get all the attention focused on themselves. There's plenty of those people in the world. The world needs to hear about Jesus. The world needs to hear about his amazing, grace-filled love. The world not only needs to hear about it, they need to see that kind of love. They need to see people who not only choose what is generous and kind, but people who are making weird, unusual decisions for the sake of purpose. And when you spend your life trying to get your attention, let me just tell you, if you spend your life trying to get attention, you will die and be forgotten. 
and you will have made no difference in the world around you. Outside of stealing other people's life and the time they could have focused on something meaningful, they were too busy looking at you. But the power of living a life of purpose is that you get to change lives. You get to invest in things that are meaningful. You get to make a, an impact that is bigger than yourself. You get to have a legacy that will outlast you in this world. Now, you'll still die and be forgotten. But at least you did something that will ripple in the world after you're gone. So don't let this desire to be like, this desire to be envied, this desire to be praised, this desire to be glorified, don't let that steal your life away. Choose purpose over popularity. Let's pray. Father, this can be a difficult decision to choose the purpose you've given us, the purpose to glorify you. And I pray that that purpose, understanding that we live to, to make your name known in the world, I pray, Father, that that influences every decision that we make, whether that's how we give, whether it's how we treat people that maybe aren't treating us well, how it's, maybe it's how we arrange our schedule. It arranges how we buy cars. It arranges how we, you know, spend our vacation time. Maybe instead of a resort and co being comfy, we go to a third world and, and we serve people rather than being served. It changes how we live, Father. And I pray that you would give, let all of us be people who decide we want to be people of purpose. Everybody wants to know their life matters. And we are fooled into thinking that the way we know our life matters is by getting other people to tell us it matters. That is a mistake. And that is a fool's errand. The way we know our life matters is when we live it for you. The way we know we're going to make a difference long after we're gone is when we live our life for you. When we help other people come to know you, have salvation in you, so that they can share that salvation with others. And on and on it goes. So let us not trade purpose for popularity. Don't let the, the desire to be envied, liked, aw, uh, being awed over or whatever. I, I pray, Father, that we would be people who understand that you're the one that we look to. We don't let people look to us. We return on the attention. We redirect the praise and glory and honor always to you. I pray that we are challenged as we leave here today. That This is not something that we take lightly, but we understand we can have a life that makes a difference rather than a life that just sucks other people's attention away into something that doesn't ultimately matter. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.